Episode 14, Changing Healthcare Means Changing Providers. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Brooks from The Private Practice Consultant. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Brooks from the Private Practice Consultant. Jason works with providers at what I would call a pretty granular level, as well as a truly inspirational one. He says, in a nutshell, that given the sea change that's going on in healthcare today, providers are really standing at a crossroads. And what makes a lot of sense is to stop and take stock and realize that there are several different directions that could be pursued. He kind of sums up those directions into to three categories. One, the provider could trick out their current practice, really install the technology, install everything that's going to be necessary, and, and make a go with it within basically the current model, a uh, practice model. The second way to go would be to bail out, you know, just go work for an ACO or um, another larger entity. Or the third would be to start thinking about more innovative ways to to practice medicine. For example, he mentions a concierge model, which he is involved in in trying to evolve. And then there's definitely other ways to go too. you know, virtual visits. He talks about something I never heard of, which is called paramedicine. There are a number of different ways which are being innovated right now. Help me welcome Jason to the program today. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jason. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about you for a sec. So currently you are a consultant and you help healthcare providers achieve profitability and patient outcomes. That's correct. I am always interested in how consultants became consultants because usually there's a good story. What's (laughs) yours, my friend? When I was young, I was diagnosed with leg calf perthes disease. It's a deformation of the ball and joint in the hip. Because of that diagnosis, I spent a good portion of my life my my adolescent life, if you will, in hospitals, in and out of hospital beds, crutches, wheelchairs, everything you could imagine. I was very fortunate to have the folks at Shriners Hospital who were responsible for my care. And at the time, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We were very poor, actually. And without their ability to provide that care, without some kind of compensation, I got the best possible care that, that anybody with my disease or my issue could have had. I've got a quality of life that is 100% or maybe 99%. You know, there are days where I have soreness and stuff like that, but I got the best possible treatment and money was not an issue. I worked with doctors who knew my name, knew my family, knew my favorite sports team. And that was something that really resonated with me throughout life. That's a really heartwarming story that you were able to get back, you know, on your feet, literally. Absolutely. (laughs) Obviously, growing up, you, I'm sure you were lying in your hospital bed taking notes at that time, preparing for your future (laughs) career as a consultant. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So then what happened? So you... So time goes on. I, I grow up, I come of age, and I found myself in the IT world, if you will. It just so happened, a friend of my wife's had an open position at a local company that specialized in electronic health records and practice management systems. Now, I didn't have the experience to get in the door, but I was persistent. 
I went to the front door. I knocked uh, every day for, for about three weeks till I was able to sit down with the president of the company. I made my case, told him, instead of paying me a low wage, give me three months. I'll work for free. I'll work as an intern and I'll show you what I'm worth. You get a job working with um, this this practice management company in IT. You, you didn't have any IT experience earlier? I definitely had IT experience, but not on the books. I mean, I, I knew how to take a computer apart, rebuild it. I knew about programs and software, but I didn't have any training in the in the health IT world. I mean, that's really what, what I needed to get in, in the door at that specific company. I was very fortunate. Getting in the door, it was very, very eye-opening because I was it, it was a very small company. Therefore, I was able to work in every single department in the company. I was able to do things that I might not have had the opportunity to do, learn things I might not have had the opportunity to learn. And I started to really resonate with the fact that I was helping. They dealt mainly with the private practice. So I started seeing myself having this effect on the practice. I was helping them with billing issues. I was helping them with uh, structural and procedural issues and operational issues. And I found myself consulting more than supporting. And at, at that point, it was really like a aha moment. The reason for that aha moment was I'm working with these these health practitioners. I'm providing value and service, and they're relying on my my contribution to their practice. And I started to feel like like I think I found my purpose in life. You know, I I do I, I'm a spiritual guy, not any particular denomination, um, but I'm very spiritual. I meditate that kind of thing, and I really felt like I had come into alignment with my purpose. That is a, a difficult thing for a lot of people to say to come in alignment you know, with their purpose. I'm going to say it's both, it was probably a, a, a big win-win that you finally got in the door working with this smaller company because, you know, just based on my experience as a, as a, you know, agency owner, skills can certainly be taught anybody if you get the right person, but it's passion and single-minded pursuit and critical thinking. Those are the things that can't be taught. So it's wonderful that, you you had that passion and and purpose and could align that to to something that you really cared about because you know definitely working with patients and in healthcare it it is definitely more noble than almost any other thing really absolutely there's a lot to be said for saving lives i agree i agree 100 percent. talk about your current consulting company a, a little bit so you know who do you what, what kind of healthcare providers do you work with and what kinds of problems do you do solve for them that's a great question the company is the private practice consultant the reason i chose that name is i know there's a ton of uh healthcare consultants and management consultants and strategic consultants out there i really wanted to brand myself as the differentiating factor i work with private practice whether that's a cardiology practice an epidemiology practice it it really doesn't matter what the specialty is there are ways to create efficiency create operational efficiency we do everything from electronic health record and practice management sales service support of your existing systems we'll come in the door we'll train your staff on the system they're using now do additional training i call it insourcing because it's it's outsourcing but it's in the country <laughs> you know? there's a, a consulting aspect as well as this 
I call it an additional team member aspect. I don't work for practices. I work with practices is how I look at it. I partner with the practice. I sit down. I go over their goals. I give them a, a 360 degree view of the practice. Uh, I call it a practice profile and it lets them know kind of where they stand and we work together. I look at what, what are their goals? What are their dreams for the practice? Why did they get started? Where are they in that process now? I help them to get back on track or even exceed their original goals. You sit down with uh, a private practice and that could be a specialist like a cardiologist or a GP. Specialty really doesn't matter. And you sit down with the practice owners. Sometimes. Other times it's the practice administrator or the practice manager. Sometimes that's the doctor's wife or husband. Sometimes um, the practice manager really runs the business of the practice and the doctor wants to do what all doctors uh, got into medicine for. They want to practice medicine. They want to see patients, practice medicine and help people. And that's the noble cause that I signed up for. You know, that's really where my heart is. And why would someone call you to begin with? In other words, they're sitting at their desk and, you know, what is the problem that this practice administrator or this physician is having where they think to themselves, hmm, I need to call Jason. The problem is twofold time and money. Those are the things that make the world go around. A doctor is out of time. He's burned out at the end of the day. His nurses are burned out at the end of the day. His staff is, he can see mutiny on the bow coming. He is in over his head, so to speak. He doesn't have the quality of life that somebody who dedicates their life to medicine deserves. The second reason would be money. Their AR is out of control. They're not coding to the best of their ability. They haven't had somebody maybe do a coding audit or uh, come in and take a look at workflows and marketing options. They're not on social media. They're not using social media. They're not attracting the right patients to their practice. So they may have a huge population of patients where they're seeing three patients every 15 minutes, but they're not able to spend time with any of them. None of them are cash patients. They're not doing any telemedicine. You know, there's a multitude of reasons. Sometimes they need an extra set of hands and they can't afford to hire another full-time person because that comes with workman's comp and benefits and everything else. Sometimes they just need that extra pair of hands. And a lot of times I'll get in the door to be that extra pair of hands. And I find that there's 10,000 other ways that I can make their life easier and help them and I'm, I'm not one of those guys that walks away with six figures at the end of the year from the practice and that kind of thing. It, I know there's a lot of consultants out there that are going to hate me for this, but I think it's highway robbery. I really do. I think that these guys can get the value that they deserve. They can get their lives back. They can get their practice back under control and they can do it for something for a price that's absolutely reasonable something that they can manage. A lot of consultants just sort of um, contemplate the universe. You know, they sort of sit in a oh, yeah. uh, sit in a corner and then issue a report, so to speak. <laughs> it, it sounds like what you're doing is you're actually getting in there and working as part of the team. And while you're working on the team, you're you're improving the processes as you go along. And do you do you continue to, you know, is it is it a long engagement or is your is the object of the game to work as part of the team until you almost make yourself redundant by putting in place good processes? That's an excellent point that you make. Um, it, I made a career out of making myself redundant, out of designing myself out of a job, if you will. 
I come to the conclusion that if I'm going to do that, I can't keep looking for the next position or the next career. If I'm going to be that kind of person, I need to do it for people and, and kind of get out of my own way. The way I look at it is most docs aren't entrepreneurs um, or they are entrepreneurs, but they can't fully focus on a business because they're also practicing medicine. They have to stay up on all kinds of regulations and everything else. To answer your question, and I apologize for straying, I consider myself part of the team. Sometimes it's a very short engagement. Sometimes it's years and years and years where, you know, somebody's part of our billing team and every once in a while I'll need to come in and manage a project or help with staff or help with patient engagement or marketing or whatever the case may be. But most times I want to be in the position where I'm working myself out of a job with them. I want them to be running at 100% efficiency. I want them to have all the tools and models in place. And I want them to be profitable, have their quality of life back, have the staff engaged and have the patients engaged, which creates superior outcomes. So I can see that you're you're in a really interesting position right now because you are right there on the street seeing firsthand what is going on in provider offices. What is contributing to this pervasive situation amongst providers right now where there's so many who are dissatisfied or, you know, struggling with time and money? That's a great question, Stacey. The key contributor here is regulation, regulation, regulation. With what's going on with the Affordable Care Act, the ARRA, HIPAA, ICD-10, ANSI 5010 from 4010, all these regulation changes, it's making the environment so that doctors have to be factory workers. It's not about the quality of the care you give the patient. And yeah, there's a level one, two, three, four, and five visit, but it's about how many can you bang out? How many can you throw in and out the door as quickly as possible? Because they're getting paid so little their, their reimbursements are dwindling. So whereas a practice could maintain its, its operating expenses and make a profit with patient panel, now that patient panel has to double or triple and everybody's flat out. I mean, there, there is change on the horizon and there are things that are, that are happening in the environment that are contributing to a change. Yeah, so let me, just, let me just interrupt you for a sec because sure. one of the things that you said kind of struck me as a paradox. You, you, you had mentioned that it's not about the quality of care, but yet a lot of what's going on with the ACA and with the installation of electronic health records and all these things are all about quality of care. So is it that until the, the facets of the ACA are fully realized that we're kind of in this awkward in-between phase or is there something else afoot? No, that's a very good point. Electronic health records, once we are in a situation, when you, when a doctor brings in an electronic health record, he's doing it because he wants some kind of uh, reimbursement from the government, whether it's, you know, he's got a bigger population of Medicaid or Medicare patients. He needs to have an effectual EHR he needs to have, he needs to meet meaningful use in multiple stages. And there's multiple criteria that go into each stage of meeting, meeting meaningful use. So here again, we're in the situation where the doctor's not focusing on the patient and practicing medicine. He's focusing on learning a new system. He's focusing on training his staff to efficiently use that system and having faith 
that they are utilizing the system correctly. He's got to learn all these new things. He's got to implement all these new things. And some docs are really taking the, the bull by the horns and they've really embraced it. Some docs are more techno- technologically savvy. Others are, I've seen doctors go into early retirement because they don't want to have to deal with it. Ultimately, it will it will help the situation because it creates a situation where everything's electronic. It's Ultimately, the workflow is easier for a doctor. He doesn't have to dictate over here and, and take notes over here and no, no 50-pound paper charts. And once we have health information exchanges in every single state and nationwide, then the concept will be fully realized and it will, will have, have served its purpose. It will come to the point where it's finally serving its purpose. But right now, it's so fragmented. You know, you go to any state in the in the country, there's very few that actually have a functioning health information exchange set up with all the community providers in the area contributing along with state agencies and everybody else. I know there's a lot of confusion. As soon as you say health exchange, everyone always thinks of the online place to buy health insurance. And that's not what we're talking about. Oh, here. no, no, not at all. <laughs> so do, do you want to just explain what a health uh, information exchange is? Health Information Exchange, an HIE, is a way for government, community providers, and any other giver of care, if you will, to successfully share information between each other within a state and ultimately when it's when it comes to full fruition across the country. When you say information, you mean patient information. Patient information, patient health information, PHI. I go to a doctor and all of my vitals and important things about me are input into the physician's EHR system. And then from the physician's EHR system, they get uploaded into the cloud so that if I, you know, have an emergency in Florida, for example, nobody's got to waste time in the emergency room trying to figure out what my blood type is. It's all up there. You're exactly correct. Yes. Another good analogy would be correctional industry. If you come into jail or you go into to prison, a prisoner goes in, they they have these these medical professionals who again are doing very selfless work, they have no idea what this person's issues are, what medications they're on. There's so many factors that they're absolutely in the dark for. And they have to take that person's word. They have to create their own diagnosis. They have to do their own evaluations. How much time, how many lives would be saved if they could pull behavioral health information from the behavioral health providers and their family practice, their family doctor, they can pull, you know, the, the ongoing long ongoing diagnosis or they call them permanent diagnosis. That information, having that information in hand creates a better quantitative, the level that the care goes up from that point. Because right now to share information between a a specialist and a primary physician requires an email, a phone call, or a letter. And most of the time it's a phone call from a receptionist to a receptionist and then a a follow-up from physician to physician. And there's a lot of back and forth there to get that information across lines. And you can't share patient information just any way. It's very tricky right now and there's, it's a lot more work than there needs to be. It sounds like what we were talking about before is the, the level of difficulty that providers are experiencing right now, because how many times has it been said, change is pain? Mm. And it sounds like, you know, we're in kind of this messy middle period where we can see light on the horizon, or we, we maybe put a better way, we know where we're headed. 
You know, we absolutely we know which direction the North Star is and we understand intellectually why all these things are going to at some point make a difference. But right now we've got to install a very sophisticated workflow clinical management system and we've got to learn all these new things. They also say, you know, nothing breeds failure like success. If we have a situation where a a provider has been very successful for absolutely years doing things a certain way and then all of a sudden these things are not successful, that's a really hard situation to deal with. So, you know, so obviously change is one factor. Being in the middle of a rapidly evolving industry is, is one factor that's causing consternation. Do you, do you notice anything within the providers that you're dealing with uh, on a daily basis that would make rolling with it, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> more difficult? I'm so glad you asked me that. This is really where, where my heart comes into this. Something that I'm, I'm very, very excited about is the idea of the family doctor coming back. By that, what I mean is there is a bit of a shift in the private practice industry. And it, it has no face. It's not a, only a family practice or general practice. It's not only cardiologists. It's not only orthopedic surgeons. It's Across the board, you've got an influx of technology. You've got all these regulations going on that are really pushing docs to do one of two things. They're either going to buckle down in their practice, do everything that they possibly can to work with the current system and utilize that system in the best of their ability. We can help with that. Then you've got another segment that are moving into the hospital ACO model. They're being absorbed into these bigger groups for fear of not being able to survive out on their own. That's another model. The third most exciting model, and and it's actually a a grouping, is the concierge cash-only type practices, these hybrid practices. It's extremely exciting. It's something that is very close to my heart. It's something I'm working very closely with. Doctors can take and they can either do this for a segment of their their population or they can do it for their entire population. They can do a complete revamp of their patient panel and say, I'm only going to take cash patients. I'm going to do it on a subscription basis. I'm going to get a certain amount of money per month from these patients, which ultimately is less than the insurance that they're paying for. And most people, they they can get a high deductible plan with a low premium and then pay for this kind of service. What the patient gets in return is they get more time with the doctor because now the doctor doesn't need to see three patients every 15 minutes. He can do, at the very least, one physical where he spends an hour with that patient, finds out his full history, spends time, gets the patient engaged in his care. He can really stay close to that patient because the patient for that subscription fee may get two visits per month and their labs taken care of. I'm working with a doctor in in Mission, Texas, what you're saying is there's effectively three directions that physicians can go in in these times. One, they can simply bail. They could sell their practice and, and become part of an ACO or you know a, a, an integrated delivery network or a larger vertical healthcare system. That's and that's happening on scale. Plan two is they could uh, trick out their existing practice. You know, they could <laughs> figure out how to install the technology that needs to be installed and figure out how to work within the current environment and in, in order to make a go of it. Or 
number three is to disrupt the system entirely and, and come up with new models of care. Like, for example, you were talking about the, the, the uh, concierge service. Concierge service, yes. Got it. So you yep. had, and I before I rudely interrupted, you were talking about something that you're working on. I think it was in Austin, Texas. Yeah, Mission, Texas, Mission actually. Texas. Um, I'm, I'm working with a doctor. The practice is Epical Health Med in Mission, Texas. He is starting a concierge practice and, you know, I'm working as a consultant with him. He is actually, they created an advisory board in the town. They've got other providers involved. They've got the labs. They've negotiated better rates on the lab equipment and the lab procedures. They've worked with, I mean, we've worked with pharmacies. I mean, I've, I've been on the phone more than I, <laughs> more than I want to admit, but, um, I've been on the phone with labs, with pharmacists, with pharmacy. There's an intermediary between the pharmacy and the payer. And those people were creating $5 formulary, just like at Walmart or Walgreens or something for these specific patients. So it, he's creating a cash-only patients, uh, cash-only practice that does home visits and at-work visits. They offer two visits a month for, for the premium, up to four members in the family, for one premium and then additional money for additional family members. But four people in a family can get two visits at a time. And what's happening is a nurse practitioner is going out to the house. They're doing labs on site. They're, they're doing vitals, history, problem lists, and all that kind of stuff on site. Then the doctor's following up two hours later. He's able to read the labs right then and there. He's able to treat the entire family in one visit. So if, if, Kids got to take a day off of school to get immunizations and get their physicals. These guys can go to the house and do it all right in the comfort of their home, or they can go to the person's work. They're also working with community associations and other agencies to provide services. This is the combat to Walmart going into primary care. It really is. This is, this is what's going to combat private practice physicians from being ousted by by the likes of Walmart. Not that I have a problem with Walmart per se, but I think we should leave the medical to the physicians, you know, and I'm sure they'll employ physicians. I don't want to get into anything political or anything like that. But what I'm seeing is this concierge practice, these home visits, telemedicine, an APRN sitting at a computer with a webcam, helping people with not critical issues, but minor issues, providing text uh, support and ability to your patients. So a patient can text a quick question and patients will pay. What, what does everybody want? They want time and they want money. Patients are going to pay for time, for more time with their doctor, for more specialized care, for more hand-in-hand -hand care. That's a whole different way of practicing medicine today. It, it's it's truly it's a resurgence of the family doctor, and that goes for all specialties. There's ways for other specialties to interact with these family and general practices and pediatricians and everybody else, so that they're all in this type of model, or at least a portion of their patient panel is in this type of model. You had been talking about pharmacies, you know, for example, yes. your Walgreens or your CVS is kind of one direction to go in. 
And then this very personal home visit, you know, back to the, uh, you know, doctor with the black bag who comes to see you at home. Uh, You know, it's funny. It it almost strikes me as completely the opposite end of the scale. You couldn't get any less personalized than, you know, showing up at CVS and, you know, working with someone (laughs) who you've never seen before on one side as one solution. No, it's just it's kind of interesting that the two ways to disrupt the existing physician practice are on completely opposite ends of the scale. They truly are. They truly are. And that's that's what's exciting about it. These doctors are getting their quality of life back. They're they're able to see less patients, make more money, make better clinical. I don't want to say better clinical decisions because they're all very qualified professionals. That's never the case. But they have more time with their patients. They get to to know their patients more personally. And frankly, if they have a problem patient, they can fire them and bring in a new patient that meets the practice's needs. It's it's really, it's extremely exciting because the doctors who are making this, this shift, this transition, are extremely happy with it. They've got their quality of life back. Their staff is excited and, and engaged. They're embracing technology. They're embracing social media, and they're using that to, to not only drive business, but also to to engage their patients outside of the office. One question that I do have is what happens if a patient has a heart attack and they need to go to to the hospital? In this, you know, it, it's almost like a vertical healthcare system model where the the provider is almost also the insurer. What happens if the care that's necessary exceeds that provider's ability to deliver it? We live in a country where now it's mandated that you have to have insurance. Unfortunately, a hospitalist visit in the hospital, it is what it is. So at this point right now, that patient would have to utilize their insurance to get that care in the hospital. However, and that's 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 the caveat. We're working and it's not anything that's that's in place yet, but we're working to work with these hospitals to say, look, you're going to get so much money from the insurance company for filling that bed. How about you give us 20% of what you're getting to fill that bed, you refill your bed with somebody else and let us provide that care at home. And we can then offer for a fraction of what you're charging that patient through their insurance, we can offer that patient the same, if not more personal, better care. And we can we can do this utilizing the VNAs, utilizing home health care people. I mean, sometimes you need a physician. Sometimes there's uh, community paramedicine out there right now. That's that's kind of there's a trial run kind of thing going on with it where paramedics are going out into the community and providing certain types of care. The whole landscape is changing. So just because right now you have to go to a hospital and you have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to be in that bed and have that procedure and so on and so forth, there is a certain light on the horizon, if you will. There is a way potentially around that. There is a way for these specific patients to get a different kind of care. And as long as it's something that can be done in the home, then Epical Health Med in this specific case would like the opportunity to provide that care and that do it for for a fraction of the price to the patient. This juncture, what it sounds like is that this is an evolving model and we're kind of at the at the beginning stages of it. 
so that, that this could, it's, it's, it's only going to get better is kind of what you're saying. The way I look at it is like this. If you've got a patient who needs to go to a cardiologist, right, he's going to have to utilize his insurance to see that specialist. Well, what if the cardiologist looked and said, here at the end of the year, you know, I made $500,000. My overhead's two fifty. I know this is very low for a specialist, but I'm being very general for the sake of numbers. I got $500,000 that I made at the end of the year. I've got $250,000 for overhead. What do I need to do to make that $250,000 and get out from underneath these regulations and everything else? Well, if you take your patient panel and you split that amount of money up between them, what's that rate? What is that amount of money? Because now you can offer these specific patients who are dealing with this cash-only family or general practice a cash-only option that basically takes the care that they'll get over a year and maybe discounts it a little bit because you're not charging so much that you need to get reimbursed a fraction of that money. What you charge is what you're getting. So you can really bring the, the price of the that sticker on, on these procedures down. And in doing so, you offer the patient an alternative. These providers that you're talking about that are, that are embarking on this path, they forego their brick and mortar. Pretty much they, they only have, they're, they're making house calls. In this specific case, yes. They, they're foregoing the brick and mortar. They're working with Epical Health Med, for, to be clear. They're working on a concierge only model. Other practices have the clinical setting with the waiting room. Uh, some of them are doing group appointments for say the diabetes uh, population of the patient panel. They can do group appointments, accomplish a lot more in very little time. So there's many different models. This, this one model is just one of many different ways to accomplish this. There's obviously so many different directions that could be gone in into right now. As you said, there's all different sort of flavors, I suppose, of concierge services. Absolutely. Then you've got the, you know, as you said, the, what did you call it, paramedicine? Paramedicine, yes. That's, that's something new that, that I've been researching that uh, is very exciting. So you've got the the paramedicine, you've got all these virtual office visits. I, I just actually interviewed a guy named Robert White from GoGo Go Health that has a really interesting way to do virtual visits. Um, you know, oh, so excellent. You know, so you've got that, you've got group visits. I mean, there's just, it just, it, it really sounds like what a provider needs to do right now is really sit back and take stock of all of these different opportunities understanding that we are in the middle of a sea change. And, you know, if once you recognize the fact that you are at a crossroads, it, it's kind of time to make some decisions and really make them very intentionally. To- That's exactly right. With a plan in place, you know, with you, you can't plan every single aspect, just like starting a business, just like any entrepreneurial venture. You can't plan everything, but you have to have a structure. You have to have an outline. And that's where we come in. I mean, we can help these providers get clear where they stand first. That's the practice profile. Let's get a 360 view and figure out what's going on. Then we can figure out, we can do market analysis. We can figure out what's going on in the area. We can start getting an advisory board together. We can start negotiating with labs and pharmacies and so on and so forth. So it's it's definitely a process. And there's there right now it's the reason it's so exciting 
And the reason these doctors are doing backflips when they make this transition or make the decision to make the transition is because there's an option. The landscape is changing and it's going to change one way or the other. It's entirely up to the guys with the caduceuses. You know, it's up to the doctors, the clinicians, the staffers, the billers. Those are the people that are going to make the decision which way this goes. The patients are also going to be integral because right now when you do a market analysis, you'll find that maybe one to three percent of the population wants this this cash only model and, and is very excited about it. And as that happens, you'll find that 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 percentage grows tremendously once once people figure it out and catch on to what what actually these patients are getting. But just from a survey standpoint, you've got one to three percent of the population that's like, let's go. Each practice, you only need a, a, a very small percentage of that one percent to be extremely successful. I mean, that's very, very exciting. So now you get one provider who's interested, then you get another provider who's interested and another provider who's interested. You start to see communities at, at a time, communities kind of coming up with these models and people around them. It's, it's a structure that's going to change. It's, it's very fluid. It's going to change. It's, it absolutely has to. I can definitely see why, uh, how you earn your keep, my friend. They're you know, <laughs> just really helping sitting down with a provider and really exploring um, all these various options and helping them pick the, the best one for them. Well, I appreciate that. I'm very passionate. <laughs> so how can, how can someone reach you, Jason? You can go over to my website. It's uh, privatepracticeconsult.com. You can give me a call directly at 413-355-3525. Or you can shoot me an email, jason at privatepracticeconsult.com. And all of this information we will also put at on relentlesshealthvalue.com in the show notes for Jason. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Jason. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Stacey. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. If you'd like to read more about the services that Jason Brooks offers, please go to RelentlessHealthValue.com slash 14. There you'll find Jason's contact information as well as links to his website and his email. Did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? You can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you look over in the right-hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes. And if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says, get the podcast delivered to your email. If you click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one S, health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.